Golay presents Recorded History with the RecordHub.com. 100% Irish and direct to your door. Hello, recorded historians, and welcome to Recorded History with the RecordHub.com. I'm your host, Ed Smith, and this is the podcast where you get to hear about the lives and histories of your favorite musical heroes and theirs. It's all beautifully simple and sometimes simply beautiful. Each week, I invite a guest on to chat about the three records that marker their life story so far. As I rather pretentiously say sometimes, our music taste over the years is like the rings in a tree trunk. You can examine each one and tell a lot of what was going on in that particular time. And, you know, clunky metaphors aside, it's just a fun and chill way to get to know some of your favourite presenters, comedians, actors, and whoever is kind enough to answer my call. This week, we get into it with one of my absolute personal and professional faves. She's one of Ireland's most respected DJs. She's a naturally gifted radio presenter. She's got one of the deepest and purest loves and appreciation of music I've ever encountered. She's smart. She's funny. She's fabulous. She's Kellyanne Byrne. This is up there, I have to say, with one of my most enjoyable conversations so far for recorded history. I've known Kellyanne Byrne for years, but it was just so great, first of all, to see her again and to get her in to get her take and knowledge on three stunning albums and also to get an insight into the woman herself. How none other than Jane Fonda, yes, Jane Fonda, played a part in forming her love of music, her experiences living in the States, including a quite shocking encounter with racism, her approach to her craft and her career. She's nothing less than a refreshing, warm, smart, hilarious and, well, just Kellyanne Burns. So here she is sharing her quite exquisite recorded history. Kellyanne Byrne. Yes. Can I just say, first off the bat, it's so great to see you. You too. Oh my goodness. When oh you walked God. into the studio earlier, the entire building oh, started cheering. I know, I know. It's great to be back. Yeah. You yeah, look it really great. Is. You look great. I've gotten older looking, I think. <laughs> That's nonsense. I can say this, although it is a podcast, but I'm here to tell you the truth. Yeah. You look absolutely incredible. Oh, thank you. How you long can... have you been home? I've been home one month now. Yeah. One month tomorrow, actually. From New York City. From New York City. Your yeah. second bite of the apple. Yeah, my second bite. Actually, I was there 10 years ago. So, yeah, 15 months this time. We'll get into all of that. Yes. Uh, as we delve into your recorded history. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for coming in. I know Not you're at all. very, very busy. Was it difficult to narrow it down to three records to sum up your entire life so far? Yeah, it was, Ed, actually. That was, when you contacted me, I was thinking, God, what will I do? And I was between lots of different albums, but... I tried to pick three that were three different periods. Yeah. Um, musically quite different. And uh, yeah, I think the three ones I've gone with are quite solid. And I think they've stood the test of time. Absolutely. So we should just get into it. We're going to start with an artist that I have absolutely no doubt. When I contacted you and you said you're going to do it, I said the first one out of the gates here is going to have to be at least one by this man. Yes. So Kellyanne Byrne, mm-hmm. where are we starting for your recorded history? We're going to start with Prince, Sign of the Times, yes. which I brought in the vinyl copy. Look at it. Yes, I've got two. Well-worn. Yeah, oh God, well-worn. I've got two copies of it at home. Um, and the reason I wanted to go with this record was because it was really when I was getting into music that I discovered this. I loved Prince, but if I think about all of his albums, this one that is the one that has had the most impact on my life. Uh, 1987, it's his ninth studio album, uh, the release after the monumentally successful Purple Rain. Yeah. And it's an interesting one, Sign of the Times, for so many reasons. We could have done an entire episode just on this record alone. 
he had just broken up with the band, yes. essentially, the revolution, and he had two albums. He was so prolific at this time, it's absolutely insane. Yeah. And he was going to release two albums. One was Dream Factory. Yes. And then there was another one called Camille, wasn't there? Yeah, that's like correct, that? yeah. Where he was going to like sing in a woman's voice. Yeah, and, so yeah. he had an eagle. Yeah. With which he was going to sing the entire album because he's Prince. Come on. <laughs> and then Dream Factory was a record with a couple of members of the revolution. They were going to be singing on it. And then he broke up the band, you yeah. know, as was his want. And he wanted to break out and just express himself, mm-hmm. I suppose, as is so often the case with these geniuses. And then he approached the record company. This is amazing to me. And I only discovered this when I was doing a bit of research. He wanted to release a triple album. Yes. And the record company, I suppose understandably went you although know. you are prince <laughs> i we know that we get it your yeah. royal purpleness thank you so much for coming to us with this idea yeah could we make it a double oh, all right okay so he kind of melded the two albums together yes added a few tracks including the title track mm-hmm. and here we have one of the greatest albums of all time why is it here today um i feel for me i feel like all his albums up to that point they all led up to this record i feel it's prince at his most musically brilliant mm. it's his most because he always talked about the craft and exploring the craft. There's so many different kinds of music in it because Purple Rain was kind of more rock-based, pop-based. When you listen to this record, it's got funk, it's got soul, it's got jazz, blues. For me, this was the pinnacle of his career. This is like his Songs in the Key of Life by Stevie Wonder. He often gets compared to Stevie Wonder as the multi-instrumentalist one yeah. the show. And also the, a lot of comparisons to the Beatles' White Album. Yeah, oh wow, I didn't know that, okay, yeah. Because people would have compared him, still do, I suppose, to Paul McCartney, how he writes his songs, multi-instrumentalist, like so many of the McCartney stroke Lennon, but, you know, McCartney Beatles songs were just McCartney going, all right, Lance, you know, sit down, sorry for that Paul McCartney impression, but I'll take care of this. If you've seen Get Back. Oh, I loved it. Astonishing. Oh, it's, oh. It really affected me, that talking. It really affected me. Yeah. You know what, I mean, not to go off topic, but it made me realise how great the world was without phones. Yeah. Because there's moments where they're literally looking into space. But you're, you can, Ed, I just, I went back to it recently because I'm actually kind of obsessed by that talk. I found it so moving. So moving. Yeah. Without being manipulated, without really being. It's like, the simplicity of it and yeah. the access the cameras get and how bloody normal they are. And then you see McCartney. We'll get back to Prince in a second. Yeah. But McCartney just noodly on the guitar and you're kind of watching it. You're going, holy shit. Is that, does that get back? Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. And he's just there, you know, his legs crossed, yeah. you know, nonchalantly. There's a cigarette hanging, you know, and he goes, dun, 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 dun. I don't know, guys, what do you think of this? Dun, 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 dun. And you're going, oh my. my God. It's like seeing a mountain form. Yeah. You know, it's like seeing Everest just being put together in a yeah. time lapse. Anyway, so yeah. there's a lot of comparisons with Signing the Times. And to Prince himself to the likes of McCartney, Stevie Wonder. Stevie but, Wonder, you know, yeah. I think he's on a different realm, though. He is on a different realm. And I mean, look, I've said this on the radio before. It was my first concert when I was a kid Mm. because my uncle loved Prince and no one has ever compared to him live since ever. And I've gone to a lot of gigs. And I I mean, I sent you the Sign of the Times concert. I'd never seen it. Oh my God, Ed. Holy Maloney. Yeah. So I watched that in preparation for this and I actually was crying. And then I brought it to my mom downstairs and I was like, look at Cat Glover. So Cat Glover was the dancer on this tour. Look at Sheila E on the drums. Look at the band. It, it's. It, I think he surrounded himself with excellence. He was excellent, but he surrounded himself with excellence. No one even drops the ball for a second when you watch that concert. And it just, it, for me, it's a whole other level. And I loved how he employed a lot of women yep. 
just going to say it. Yeah, there well, were always never women made in the a band. big deal of it. Just no. naturally was drawn. Like Sheen E, obviously, it was engineered. The whole album was engineered by a woman by uh, Susan Rogers. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it wouldn't be the album. It is without her because there's her. a lot going on here. Yeah. Imagine trying to engineer what was put forward. There's a great quote here. There's a guy called Ben Greenman, right. whose job is a Prince Scholar. So oh. if you're looking for a new gig. <laughs> and this is the quote from him. I love it. He describes Sign of the Times, spooky, political, R&B, full-throated, psychedelic pop, bone-rattling, skeletal funk, and pocket soul so gentle and nuanced you could almost call it folk. Oh my God, I love it. Wow. Yeah, I that love it. It's some effort to try and sum up what's going on in this record, you know. Yeah. And it's, I suppose it's almost a political record in many ways. He would have stayed away from politics. Absolutely. And You're... I think the musical, it's a, sorry, it's a real insight as well into the music landscape at the time because hip hop was entering its classic phase. Yeah. And Michael Jackson reacted to hip hop and the kind of street mm-hmm. voices and sound was coming through with Bad only a couple of months later. Man. Yeah. What a year. And then yeah. Prince, with Sign of the Times, makes reference to AIDS and street violence, which is... Oh, I mean, that's the thing. I remember hearing that track and thinking, like, that for me is like, here's what's going on. Yeah. So who opens an album with, in France, a skinny man died of a big disease with a little name. Yeah. By chance, his girlfriend came across a needle and soon she did the same. And I think you're right up to the... I feel like he was hitting 30 and I think his life was... It's a more of a mature record for me. I love Purple Rain, but it's more sexual in nature I think it's more pop in nature and I mm. feel like here this was like like you say he had never really spoken about the world in the way that he did on Simon, Sign of the Chimes The Cross is kind of the same My so, favourite song by Prince Oh my god Of all time Isn't it It's epic <clears throat> Epic Goosebumps atop of Goosebumps yeah. People say some of the record I think the drum machine sounds that he uses on it have aged it a little. I think right. that might have been the case five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. But music has kind of come around almost full circle. Yes. And it doesn't, I think people are still trying now to kind of capture what he did back in 1987. You know, he played every single instrument, of course. He wrote all the songs. I think there's only two songs on the 16 that have other people on the credits. Yes, I think, um, oh God, I can't remember the two. I read that today as mm. well, actually. But yeah, most of them he wrote himself. And I just love how he explores so many different kinds of music. You know what I find interesting about this record? It doesn't really have major hit singles. So I was thinking today, it reminds me of George Michael, Listen Without Prejudice. Very good, yeah. As in, when that came out in the States, and you know in the States they didn't accept this as much, the Prince one, the Sign of the Times one. He didn't want to tour it there because they were like, no, this is not like Purple Rain or whatever. And when George Michael did Listen Without Prejudice, People in the States are like, where's Faith? Where's his jeans? Where's his Where's hot the radio hits? Where's, where's his Raspberry Beret? Yeah, come yeah, on. Like, yeah. what, why? But for me, Listen Without Prejudice is definitely George Michael's finest album. Again, he was getting older, looking at the world around him. And the same with this. It's Prince's finest record musically, if you listen to it. it and like, he always spoke about the craft. And I feel like this is his most experimental. And it's just put together so well. Because you've got Sign the Times, serious, as you say, about politics, all the rest. And then the next record is Play in the Sunshine. Yeah, it's cool. like, whoa, yeah. this is a total shift gear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I love, you know, the fact that he, there's almost a sentimentality to it, you know, as well. Looking back on school, his high school days. And, yes. You know, he's saying so much with, yeah. with so much of his talent in full, almost peacock-like display. Mm-hmm. And I would recommend anyone listening to this podcast right now. Kellyanne sent me on the full YouTube clip or film of the concert, Sign the Times concert. I'd never seen it. Oh my God. And to see him in his absolute pomp and the tightness of the band, but the charisma and connection he has with the band, yeah. as you say, and of himself, mm-hmm. 
and of the crowd. Yeah. It's one of the greatest live performances I've ever seen. Ever. Yeah. I mean, it's because they all look like they love what they're doing. Yeah. And people forget that he could dance. You know, he wasn't only a great singer. And a great, I mean, you see at the end, he's on the drums. Yeah. <laughs> Just like giving a loads on the drums and Sheila E and, and um, Cack Lover are dancing. And it's like, even watching those two dance, I was like, that's like Solange and Beyonce on the, you remember the Beyonce, that clip from, there's a home, what was the name of the thing she did on, I can't remember home, whatever, but the two of them dancing together. But yeah, I think for me, he was the greatest live performer because of that, because he could play loads of different instruments. He had so much charisma. He was a great singer and he was a great dancer. And more than anything, it wasn't just about him. It was about every single band member. But he, you know, that, with him. I suppose that ethos in particularly black performers yeah. going back decades, yeah. they had to be. Yeah. If you think about like The Temptations, even Marvin Gaye in his early days. Ike and Tina. I, you know, they had to incorporate. Yeah. They had to go up to 11, you know, for, to borrow another phrase, for their performances. So that yeah. was all part of the, the package, really. Yeah. You had to move on stage. You had to be visually arresting. The sound had to be good. You're engaging with the band. That was very much, I think, a black tradition. Yes. And Michael yeah. Jackson, of course, yeah. took it to the nth degree with his dancing and his singing. You had to be so many different things yeah. to even get ahead and to get noticed as a black artist. But he and Prince, if you think about it, 87, you got Prince, Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson and Madonna, Madonna at the peak of their powers. Yeah. So did you hear this album when it came out first or did you arrive to it late, later in I think, yeah, I thought about that today. So I was only nine when it came out. Yeah. So actually, I think in actual fact, I was more interested in it around 11 or 12. And I remember, so I'm from Finglas and I remember was, like that was the stage where everyone got together and sat around to listen to an album because you had it on record or whatever. And I remember being in the front room and listening to it with all of my friends. And then after that, just being, it was that stage where you're getting into music and like, what am I into? What And it that for me is probably like the defining moment of that time. It was like this record was everything. And what kind of records were around you when you were small uh, with your parents or your, your, your siblings? I just assumed there'd be a lot of disco like Donna Summer. Yeah, there was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my mom was really into disco and Motown records actually. My dad loved Marvin Gaye. I, I mean, I was between this and, and Marvin Gaye. I said the two with, mm. well, should I choose what's going on or this? But I've more connection to this. But yeah, my mom and dad had great taste in music. My dad loved David Bowie. He loved The Who, The Beatles. My mom loved disco records. She, I've told this before. She had an aerobics class. She looked like Jane Fonda in the eight. And my mom, my mom was Stunning. hot. Like my mom was hot. Can hugs. I say that? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like she was hot. I even I've seen pictures of her in hot pants. I'm like, whoa. But she she used to teach aerobics. <laughs> And she'd like play like I Feel Love and like I remember the wind down was Human Nature by Michael Jackson. With the leg warmers and everything. With the leg warmers. Oh, come on. <laughs> she'd like put her head, you know, do Jane Fonda, yeah. that thing where the legs go over her head. Like they're, and I'm like, I'd be like I'm sitting there, I don't know what age I was, six or something. Like, oh, wow, look at my mom. But I didn't realize all of, I was soaking up all of that music. So I do think, yeah, I, none of my family were in bands, but I definitely grew up in a very musical environment. My uncles, my mom had four uncles. My uncle got me into Prince. Right. And she had a, a younger brother who was a similar age to me, two years older. He was mad into the Stone Roses, the Happy Mondays. And so all of that stuff was there. It's amazing that yeah. even at that young age, it was so formative yeah. for you that you've made it your life. Yeah, as yeah. As such since. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. That even at six and seven. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of kids would like have great records around mm. them growing up and then they'll drift off to follow sport or yeah. or go into whatever they're into, you know. Yes. But that for you, you know, all the planets aligned in a very special and unique way, I think. Yeah. Even the visual you're putting there together as a six-year-old, watching your mom do aerobics <laughs> to these amazing records. But that, you know, 
that gets in a little deeper, doesn't it then? It does. And, and you don't realise it. When you hear these tracks, it yeah. brings you right back. Yeah. And that's why we're here today to go through your recorded history. I want to now. Yes. Bring you forward. Okay. My God, Kellyanne, what a ch- what a, what three choices you have brought us today. We've yeah. just left 1987. We're going a little bit forward. 11 years, if I'm doing my maths correctly. Kellyanne Byrne, can you tell us what is your second choice for your recorded history? My second choice is Lauren Hill, the miseducation of Lauren Hill. Oh, my God. Yeah. Alison, in the studio here. I know. Just through her arms oh, up, in a kind even. of a preach. Mm-hmm. It has that effect, doesn't it? Even when you just hear it. When you the hear name it. Of it. Even the name of it. I was 20 when this came out. I was on a J1 in the States. And uh, Doo Wop had come out as a, as a single. And we used to all, we were all like by the pool, you know, singing the words. So it reminds me of a great period in my life. As in, it was my first time traveling. Where were you in the States? Uh, South Carolina. Oh, you went to South Carolina? Yeah. Why there? kind of a funny one so I arrived in New York with my friend Sandra I wanted to stay in New York and then she said oh no, some of my friends are in no, South Carolina no let's go to South Carolina how does that happen <laughs> and I said okay and we went to Myrtle Beach now we met great friends there some who I'm still in touch with today however and I think I said this to you uh, it was it, it was a very racist place mm. and so I felt like even listening to this record because a lot of it is about her being a young black woman in America I could see firsthand. You know, I'd never traveled to America. I, I'd never experienced racism like that here, but I could see firsthand, like how. And how did you cruel. see it when, where you're working? You saw it in your workplace. Or yeah, workplace? just um, I mean, I've got one story. I don't know one quick one if you want me to tell it. Yeah, so, course. I was working in a restaurant, and um, I was really close to the kitchen porter. His name was Eddie. He was black, and uh, they used to play this great soul station. So it was all like the Temptations, Stevie Wonder. Me and him would sing to the music, all the rest. Anyway. Uh, one Tuesday when I worked there on Tuesdays the manager was never on and there was a girl ringing her boyfriend in another state every Tuesday using the work phone using the work phone there were no mobiles then this is years ago and uh, so the phone bill went up and up and up and that's actually hard I'm actually I get a lump in my throat Mm. thinking about it because I came into work and I saw him being guided out in, in handcuffs Eddie Eddie yeah and I was a whoa what's going on what's going on and um and they said oh he's been using the phone when I'm not here so we've got a massive phone bill and it's down to this guy the most heartbreaking thing for me I'll never forget this was I said no he's not because I was here and it's that girl she was a real cheerleader type whatever and I said it was her and they said to me you haven't grown up here you don't know anything keep your mouth shut and I and I was floored like literally floored. I couldn't understand how somebody could be so cruel. I felt like it was any excuse to blame a black person on something. And that was my first eye opener of real, real racism, which I've I've seen since since being in the States. But like, well, coming yeah. from Ireland, of course. Yeah. You know, yeah, I suppose the only reason there wasn't as much racism mm. overtly is because our population was so white. tiny yeah. and white. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. In those days. So yeah. it must have been such a kind of visceral. It was heartbreaking. To hear about it in, you know, or see it in movies. And, yeah. But you're so far removed from it in That's Ireland, it. even up to the mid to late 90s. Yeah. To yeah. see it in such a raw and visceral way must have been so shocking. I'll never forget it. And I really loved him, you know. And he, and like, he was like. Oh, and what wait. happened? Can I ask then? Was he. They took him away. And then I don't know after that. I don't know what happened. But like, I, I just. I, I, soon afterwards, I actually left. And I, because I thought, I don't want to leave America with this being my image of America. I'm a very sensitive person. So, you know, lots of people on J1s are just getting drunk and all the rest of it. But I was picking up on all of that. 
And so then I ended up going to San Francisco on my own and then New York, which was a whole other ball yeah, game. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's nice things about South Carolina, but that was definitely there. With it, the racism was so bad. It was something you could feel in the air. Yeah. And this album, The Miseducation of yeah. Lauren Hill, then brings those feelings as well as all the positive stuff yes. back to you. Yeah, she, it does. Because she was singing a lot about that. But also, I just love this record because it's like this young woman trying to find her identity. She's She had had... I'm not, I wouldn't say terrible experience, but all the stuff went on with the Fugees and her and Wyclef, they were together. Yeah, just a bit of background on that yeah. for anyone who doesn't know. She was with, obviously, yeah. Fugees. The score mm. had just come out, I think, absolutely massive album. Yes, yes. You know, all the all the, the well-known Fugees mm. tracks on it. And what I've discovered uh, recently was that she, le- she had left the band. Yeah. And she sang the last track on the score mm. in the studio. And I'm out of here. I'm gone. Yeah. Word got out that this is going to be a massive album, so they convinced her to tour it. Yeah. And then things got very almost Fleetwood Mac-esque. Yes. Within the band, because she started a relationship with Wycliffe Jean. Mm -hmm. He was married. And then she met Bob Marley's son. Yeah. And she became pregnant. Yeah. So she was only, sorry, can we just almost rewind? She's 21. 22 when she recorded. 22. I couldn't. I think I tied my first set of shoelaces <laughs> when I was 19. Yeah. And that was even with my mother putting her finger on top of it. <laughs> so at 22, uh, I suppose we have to deal with the talent that she has. Oh my God. But the determination and the strength mm. that she has spoken since about the resistance within, obviously, the Fugees. Yeah. Re- record labels. Yeah. And then, you know, trying to plow her own fur. She came obviously to Mm-hmm. A lot of people's attention in Sister Act Two. That's when I yeah, and she was only right. about fifteen or sixteen. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. And really, just like she was one of the standout moments when she opens up her voice. And oh my she god! Is, like, and she looks, she's a beautiful looking woman. Yeah, still is obviously. But but to go back to her, actually, the most important thing, her talent, is that with the miseducation of Lauren Hill having coming coming out or in the middle of all that strife with the Fugees, mm-hmm. to come out with an album so mature and so flawless and so perfect. Yeah. As again, we're going back to Prince. Yeah. So many different genres, obviously with the doo-wop. Yeah. Obviously with doo-wop. Reggae. Thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know that you mentioned that X Factor yeah. has a certain resonance oh. for you. Can you talk about it? I can talk about it, yeah. yeah. I love time is passing. Yeah, I think of the three albums today, this is the most personal one for yeah. me because I think also, you know, I was, I it, X Factor reminds me of my first love and like this was somebody I knew from my childhood years. I was uh, like completely obsessed with. I mean, I was so... From Dublin. Yeah, yeah, I was so in love with him. And, um, but I was at the stage in life where I was, I'd always done really well in school. I did really well in college. And I was coming to the end of college and thinking, I don't know if I can go for this because maybe I was a bit of a scaredy cat. Um, I don't know if I can go for this because I want to do all these things in my life. But the X, X Factor uh, always reminds me of him. And I think a lot of people who hear that song, it reminds them of somebody, either a relationship that was push and pull or, you know, maybe you're not emotionally equipped for it. They're not either. I was immature. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I think the feelings I had for him were so big. He was one of my best friends. Yeah, that it was, it was, uh, do you go there and then risk every, destroying everything? And what do you do? So that track just always reminds me of him. But I have nothing bad to say. Him. He's, he's an amazing person. I haven't seen him for a while. And he went on and did his own thing. But like, yeah, it's, it's the song that reminds me the most of him. A lot of music from that time reminds me of him. Yeah. Yeah. And it's incredible, as I say, I think almost every episode of Recorded History, that when you're 
at your most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, your heart is very raw yeah. and open and it's on, it's on your sleeve or whatever metaphor you want to use or your veins are open to yeah. what's going on in your life. When music gets in, it's almost like a tattoo. Because yes. it gets in and under, like I can see your new tattoo. We'll get into that. <laughs> but uh, or maybe not. Maybe it's a prison tattoo, and you can't legally talk about. It. But uh, when you know when you when you are at your most, you know, raw, and yeah. you hear a particular album, or, mm-hmm. and it's, it is a tattoo. It gets in under the skin. It gets yeah. in under the vessels, and it's there for life. Yeah. So when you hear, it, it's so I think powerful to hear. Like it's such an astonishing record. I mean, I mean, if you think about it, she opens up. It's almost like Minnie Ripperton, isn't it? You know. Yes. With, yes. And uh, last ones, and she starts. She just comes in out of nowhere. You hear all, yeah. and then it's yeah. like it's funny how money changes situations. Yeah. That powerful. What an MC. Mm-hmm. What a singing voice. And she looked incredible. Yeah. Any one of those talents at twenty two. At twenty two. Any one of those, like Prince. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. Almost. It's almost indecent how yeah. greedy they were. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking like that, sounding like that, and having that much, much talent and strength. But anyway. Yeah. But the opening of that album, and then it goes, it just kind of dances around so beautifully between oh. genres. And doo even in doo there's a great message. It's got that Motown vibe, the Diana Ross stuff. We know the video is like that. But a lot of that, uh, that track is about self-respect for men and women. And I, I actually was listening to the lyrics today, and she goes, uh, quit shooting semen, stop acting like boys and bee men. God. Like she wrote that. Mm. Do you know, it's like grow up and, or if you don't want to do something, no, nobody talks about boundaries then. Do you know what I mean? If you don't want to do something, you don't have to. And it was on both sides because the chorus first is, you know, guys or girls, you know, you better watch out. And then it goes into guys, you know, you better watch out. So I think a lot of the album was about self-respect. But I just feel it go, it's almost like a therapy session listening to it. And speaking of therapy sessions, you know, I mean, first of all, would you have always had that very, I suppose, involved relationship with music that Mm -hmm. you were very open to the, to its meaning to yeah. its lyrics and yeah. all that, you know. But speaking of therapy sessions, that's part of uh, the world that you've explored. Mm-hmm. You've studied what, yeah. the psychoanalysis? Uh, psychotherapy. Psychotherapy. Yeah. Uh, was, that was recently enough, that was... Yeah, that was like, so just before I left for New York, I'd yeah. done my first year. I'm going back in September. Yeah. Yeah, I'm continuing. I'm, I'm a big believer in therapy, so you that, know. What, that's what brought you to that, that part of, of study is that yeah. you've always... I've always gone. Always, you've always gone yourself. Mm-hmm. So yeah. was, you had an interest in it from your own personal experiences. But, yeah. And you found it helps? Yeah, I find it totally helps. It gives you self-awareness mm-hmm. and it gives you, keeps you in check. It's interesting because I didn't go to therapy the year I was in New York and I said this to my mate the other day. I was regressing. Yeah, because that's what people do. So think about it. When you sit down in front of somebody weekly, you can't be in denial unless you're lying, which lots of people do in therapy. I'm not very good at So. You know, you sit down in front of someone, you've got to say, well, I did this and I did that. Why am I with that person? I don't really, I, they're not really for me, blah, blah, blah. And so I felt like, yeah, the 15 months, I kind of went a bit wild over there, which I think I needed to do because we'd all been locked up for how long, do you know? And um, yeah, and I, I think I had my fun, but I also, by the end of it was like, this, I'm really kind of done with this. I'm hitting 45 in the summer and I, I want to go back to the course because it made me feel very safe. Um, and just able to talk about things. And like, I think that's why I love the Lauren Hill record because there's so much of it where she's so vulnerable. Like, why did I love this person? I don't understand why. Did, but that's that can be love sometimes. But then there's parts where she's really wise and really like so wise about the world. Well, to Zion is such a beautiful. Yeah, to Zion. Track. Yeah. Because she said being pregnant made her the most creative ever. Yeah. Yeah. And she did it all by herself. Yes. Almost the pregnancy and the record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. I know she had some legal problems. 
Yeah. After the after the record, and she's had. It's after that album. It's fair to say, a fairly checkered relationship with her public, hasn't she? Yeah. She's only released one album since the MTV Unplugged. Back I don't know what happened. Yeah. And Avaf, she's a fascinating, intriguing character in mm-hmm. so many ways that I can almost see shades of Azealia Banks now. You know. Yeah. Amy Winehouse. Amy Winehouse. But I think with Amy Winehouse. And I can see the comparison, but she was a lot more prolific, I think, in her yeah, relationship yeah. with the press. But Lauren Hill, it all kind of stalled quite quickly after releasing one of the greatest albums, not just of the 90s, but mm-hmm. of all time. Of and all you time. wonder, was the, the weight of that and the expectation almost too much for her? That Yeah. Uh, she's still touring. Mm-hmm. You know, she's got a reputation for turning up late like, for gigs. I've heard that. You know, she, yeah. like two hours in a gig in Atlanta and she only played for 30 minutes afterwards. I've heard this, yeah. And then it's the reasons afterwards. It's all this kind of mm-hmm. nebulous bullshit about, yeah. I've got time and I'm in my particular place and time where people are going, well, we were here <laughs> our time. We were we on time. We were on it. You know, yeah. and, uh, but she is, and I suppose she'll always have, you know, it's better to have this album under your belt than none. Or, or like four bad ones. Yeah. yeah I, I actually think, honest to God, I think it's, of even of the three I've chosen today, it's a perfect record. Yeah. It's for me, it should it go, well, it has gone down in history. I mean, she got nominated for 10 Grammys. She won five. She won five. First black woman to do that. Yeah. I mean, she broke all the rules in the book because she wasn't just a hip hop artist. This broke the mold, like as in everybody loved this record. So for me, it's like her, what's going on or like Stevie Wonder's Inner Visions. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, I think it's flawless. In every possible way, it's flawless, but it's so honest. Yeah. And that's what's great about it. You can't mess with that. She's just being honest and raw and and she's quite religious as well. It's a very spiritual she, record. She is, yeah. I think, you know, when you get involved in the in the Marley dynasty. Yeah. And she very much, you know, the Rasta, mm-hmm. I suppose, uh attitude towards life. She yeah. she got very subsumed into that. Mm-hmm. And she had five children with Bob Marley's son. And, you know, she worshipped Bob Marley growing up as so many artists did. Yeah. So she really got involved in that side of things. And he comes through in the record and she speaks so eloquently since about her spiritual beliefs. And she yeah. said something recently, it was only a year or so ago, which I found remarkable to the point where I just don't know if it's true. Right. But she herself said, the, the interviewer asked her, Straight up, brave man, can I say? Mm. First of all, it's Miss Hill you have to refer to. Oh, well, I've I've no problem with that. Yeah, yeah. If you want to call Miss Hill, I you know she is Lauren Hill. Shut up, sit down, call her Miss Hill. <laughs> but he said, why hasn't there been a record since yeah. the Miseducation? Like it's been what twenty years? And she said, nobody approached me. Wow. Nobody, even the record company that brought out the Miseducation of Lauren yeah. Hill, never came near her. Wow. For a follow-up. And you're going, Really? Wow. Yeah. I know. Well, listen, Mm -hmm. she's saying it, so you've got to, you know, you've got to take her for its worth, but you would wonder. Yeah. Maybe it's probably a good thing, maybe, if that's, you know, if she wasn't, she was in a different place creatively, could she have topped it? The comparisons would always have been... To that record. To that record. Yeah. You know, she's still touring it, you know, she's still out there producing the goods. To bring you back to those days just a little bit, when did you start... So 1998, not trying to age you now, you would have been... Oh, 98, what was I? I would have been 20. Was I 20? Yeah. Yeah, 20. Going on. Uh, I remember you from college. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. I was in DIT Angel Street. Remember that, yeah. And uh, it yeah. was only that when I saw you in the building here <laughs> and you walked past, I went, first of all, I'll be honest, I was like, oh my God, beautiful woman. <laughs> and then I was like, hold on a second. Who? 
And then I remember you very vividly walking across. It was a new campus. It was Angel yeah. Tech IT. Yeah. Just walking across the foyer out those mad green, awful oh, glass you doors. Them? I can even smell it. Place has those. But, <laughs> and there you were. And you were just a set apart. <laughs> even then, oh. just your own person, just going about your business in oh. your own way. And uh, you obviously had a little bag of records under your arm. <laughs> <laughs> and I suppose I want to ask, going back to, were you DJing even then or when yes, did you start? Yes, yeah, I would have started. I would have started probably my first year of college. And that was um, to having a record collection. Mm. So we, we had a gaff in uh, off Share Street, me, Charlotte and Michelle. Yeah, I remember you probably, probably Yeah, I remember Charlotte. She was studying with me and we would have parties there and I'd DJ, and like, as, like whatever that was. And then I remember people saying, oh, you should do this seriously. But I never thought about it as like a career path or anything like that. It was just... Oh, collecting records and, you know, um, I put a mixtape into the dice bar, a tape. <laughs> That's how long ago it was. Imagine. Yeah. Can you and, remember what was on it? Yes, I do. Uh, Roxy Music were on it. Uh, Chic was on it. Northern Soul was on it. Oh, there was like oh, a lot of 60s music as well. And that was it. I got a gig from him and then that was that was it. I, I, I mean, I said this last night with John Barker that I've never been out of work only for the pandemic. No other Since time. Since then? Since then. 20 yeah. odd years. 20 odd years, more. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. Speaking yeah. of the dance floor, we're gonna oh. we're gonna hit the dance floor in a big yeah. way as much as we can at our age, Kellyanne. I know. For your third choice in your recorded history, can you tell us what it is? Yes, it is "Sound of Silver" by LCD Sound System. I mean, this you love this album right. too. Like, come on, it's just it's incredible. Two thousand seven, second album. Yeah, second album. I know. I know. Yeah, second album from <laughs> James Murphy, aka LCD Sound System, yeah. after their self-titled debut album uh, described by many and I suppose when I read it first I was like oh, what does it mean and then I listened to it dance music for grown-ups yeah mm-hmm. yeah I think if you look at the, again the musical uh, era at the time as it seems to me to stand out almost as a rock record as a proper dance album it's got a story to tell mm-hmm. there's a weariness to this which I love I know now yeah. I understand it all I, that's what I'm saying even then we were probably coming can I just say over the hill, not over the hill, but like our days were, you know, we were, we were, we were lingering a little bit, uh, yeah. hanging on to our glory days of yeah. dancing and all that goes with it. And this record came out. It was, first of all, it's a beautifully sound, it's beautifully yeah. put together. Yeah. And he hates his own voice, apparently. He hates his singing voice. I heard that. Yeah. He doesn't, isn't, doesn't he have to record on his own or something? And I mean, he's kind of, he's a very nerdy, I've met him. He's such a dote, yeah. but he's a very, he's a nerdy kind of self-conscious guy. Um, I think he thinks a lot. Overthinks, maybe. Probably overthinks. Yeah. I mean, well, when we talk about someone great and that which was about his therapist. Um, but but I I think what you mentioned there, what was great about this album and LCD in general was that they managed to marry indie with rock with dance music. Yeah. And so it actually converted indie fans into dance music yes. fans. There was a bridge there. Fine. There was a bridge there or disco. Like why do we why why do we only you know I've always hated that. Oh, if I like rock, I can't like disco. I can't oh, whatever. But, you know, I think that's what this album and LCD did. A bit like Talking Heads, maybe Very a little good. bit. Yeah. yeah. And there's a bit of Lurid here as well in, mm-hmm. in, in a song I'll get to in a second. But I feel, again, you know, he talks about, you know, it's the afters of a party, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm so tired. Yeah. And i trying to reconnect with my friends. Yeah. I know before it was about this. Now it's about like, where are my pals gone? Yeah. You know, uh, one of my favourite 
stories about James Murphy is have you read or even seen the documentary Meet Me in the Bathroom? No, and every I have for my sins. Everybody it's has been true. saying this to me. It's is it good? The book is great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's for those who haven't. It's an oral history of the New York music scene in around this time. Spirit. Okay. Mid to late two thousands, the Strokes, mm-hmm. Yeah Yeah Yeahs, and James Murphy. Yeah. So James Murphy was very much an indie punk artist, right? At the time, and this is what I love about this because the Irish always have some way of <laughs> popping up in history and just going, how are you? Like, she robot, is yeah, it? Yeah, no. you can see the, the, even the pyramids being brought. Some fella going, I'll do that for... The scene at the time, there's a lot of J1ers in New York. Right, yeah. A lot of J1ers in New York. And I'm not putting this on you. <laughs> but a lot of J1ers in New York. David Holmes was knocking around doing some DJ sets. I'm okay. hoping I'm getting the story right, but the, yeah. the genesis and the basis of it are true are, and correct. That James Murphy was very much an indie punk. Yes. Rat, you know, as mm-hmm. the scene was, the strokes were coming through and all the bravery. Do you remember then? Yeah. And then David Holmes, he meets up with David Holmes and a load of these Dublin lads had come over <laughs> to New York and they had with them... Yokes! Yokes! They had a load of what is in the book. It's so beautiful. Like, a load of Mitsubishis with them. And I'd like to take this opportunity, obviously... Don't take drugs, kids. I'm not condoning what happened. This is just factual truth. And that he took his first pill ever. And it changed everything. And he was on the dance floor and he described it so beautifully. He was like, he just went into the dimension that had always been waiting for him. And he went and he heard the music in a different way. Mm -hmm. And he, that changed him for life. Yeah. And that's where then he kind of transformed into the LCD sound system. And the dance music and the subsequent uh, brilliance that he produced. So I just love this image of Dublin lads going in. I know. It accidentally changing music history. <laughs> I but love it. Uh, it, it. Well, look, it, it's one of those records, isn't it, that I think, again, listening to, to this morning, mm-hmm. you know, uh, before I came in here to chat with you, it's a near-perfect record. It's near-perfect. Yeah. I agree with you. It is. It's. A, I did my workout to it this morning, actually. But it's just, it reminds me of the early days of Mother. I think I said that to you. So Phil Boyle, Ghost Boy, yeah. he loved this record. And I think he was the first to drop All My Friends last. It was like our last track. So it reminds me of that. It then reminds me of TX because it was my first song. So tell us about those days. Like You're bringing up some great memories here for yourself. You know, so Mother. Mother? What it's become now compared to what it was then. Just an idea in someone's head to get all these people in one room. Mother, I mean, we'll, the same tune. yeah, we were in the Arlington Hotel, the basement. This was, I think it opened recession time. Anyway, we'd no money. So we, <laughs> we used to sellotape the lights to a stool, oh my right? We'd no DJ boots per se. So we had a couch and it was me and Phil. And then we put the decks on the table. And what was the ethos? What was the, we just, how would you have described it then? It was just, are we, can we play disco bangers? It, well, it was, well, it was actually quite probably more, a little bit more electronic. I, I was always more the disco side of it and Phil would have been more the electronic side of it. But it was just anything goes. I mean, I used to crowd surf and everything. I mean, I, it was just such a great experience. Um, and obviously it developed from there. It's still amazing. Yeah. But it, it reminds, this record reminds me of the early days of Mother and also when I went on TXFM, I believe somebody could, I think all my friends was the first Track I played on my first ever show. on your first ever yeah, radio show. Yeah, and That's then I've dropped it at the end of uh, festivals as my last track too. So it just makes me think of dancing, but there's a lot more to it than just as in someone great. So we know, you know, there's a lot more going on. I love the line as I was kind of trying to refer to it. You spend the first five years trying to get, get with the your, plan, yeah. and the next five years trying to be with your friends again. again. What a I beautiful, know. incredible yeah. line! But again, yeah. capturing that, I suppose, the weariness having spent some of your life, your youth going for it on yeah. the sesh yeah, and you get to a point you're going oh god I'm so tired I know I want to talk to you just very briefly if you don't mind as yeah. well or as long as you want making the transition from DJing in live clubs in mm-hmm. front of 
people you can see and hear and putting your records physically on and all that. Yeah. The transition from that to your radio career, which was hugely successful. Yeah. You became a very much a beloved radio presenter for quite a few years. How did that come about and how was that for you then? It's a very different beast. Oh, were you totally expecting different. it to be so different or were you surprised at I, you know, I, yeah, they're, they're so different. You're right. I mean, the radio thing happened to me by accident. I was supposed to go back to New York and then I got a call from Phantom and they said, will you do an, uh, a show on Saturdays based on what you do in clubs? So I was like, okay. And then that all took off. But yeah, I think they're both very different. Um, I think the thing about the radio is you can be out and you'll have someone come up. Someone did it to me recently, actually, at the Andrew Weatherall gig. We were we were doing in the big romance and they'll say, I never forget what you said about that record or I'll never forget how you said, like I used to talk a lot about my granddad's. I never forget how you said like, you know, the first time your granddad listened to you on air, he loves Stand on the Word by Larry Levan. And you're thinking, God, I never, I don't even think people are listening to me. I don't even know that people are like that. It's that that's resonating with them. So I think the thing about the radio was I love to tell stories around. This is why I love being on this because I love the stories around records and where the artist was at the time and all the rest of it. So I would do that a lot on air. But I mean, when I went on the radio, I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't know what you were doing. But I think that's why you were so good. <laughs> like, what am I you know, because to say? God, you were so great. The beat goes on, uh, and everything else you've done, obviously. But the beat goes on. You you gave me that name. I, I came up with the name. For yeah, that. thanks you for did. mentioning that. You got the note. It is. I, I just wanted to drop that in. Oh yeah, I'll so give you that million a, now. Can we, uh, have a, can we have a bit of pause. I'm going to put. I, I'm going to edit in a little bit of silence here. So just before we go on. But uh, I did come up with that. But anyway, the point being, I think that's what the draw and the charisma and the magnetism you had on radio is that you didn't think about it. Oh, no. You just went in. You were so natural. <laughs> but your love for radio, and I, I mean this in a very positive way, you just love every record you played. Mm. Or even if you didn't, mm -hmm. as maybe was sometimes the case, yeah. you had to play. Mm -hmm. But the passion and the connection you had and have with music just came through. You loved, as you say, your links were so perfect. And it was a little journey that you'd go on for the couple yeah. of hours that you were, you were on. And you'd make any song sound great. Uh -uh. But if, when you had the luxury of picking your own, then it was just went to a different level. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what made you and makes you stand out. That is the so-called polish that other presenters have. Mm -hmm. Can put a sheen on yeah. their delivery and make them a little bit inaccessible. Yes. But you come yeah. on and you speak in your normal real voice. Mm -hmm. And people are instantly connected to you and the music that you're choosing. Yeah. So it's a very much an involved, engrossing way of presenting that you're not thinking about. And you've always held, this is something I've always admired about, you know, sorry now if I'm embarrassing you, but <laughs> your knowledge and the respect and how, I suppose, beloved you are in the scene, it's always something that you've worn so lightly. Mm. The crown that you've never given yourself, but the flowers that other people will give you. You don't go around and you don't buy into the bullshit. No, no, not at all. You've never had a kind of, I suppose, an air of superiority about it. You didn't wear it as a weapon. That's yeah. so many often, so often, so many people can do use their music taste and knowledge, I suppose, to separate and uh, separate themselves from the herd as they see it. But yeah, I know you've, what never, you mean. you've never been like that. No, I hate that, and I hate somebody who uses it like I know more than you do. Or I hated that in school, even. So do you know, it's like. I don't think it should be used as a weapon to be like, I'm superior to you, I'm well-educated. It's just be like, oh, do you know what this record is about? Or do you know what the person was at? And that's what the thing was like. I think one interesting thing I had people say to me was people who never liked disco. When I spoke about it, were like, you've suddenly got me into That's what I'm talking. Because the stories behind those that's records were very talking. interesting. Very A lot of accomplished musicians. And um, no, I would never, I mean, I, I actually, there was a quote, I was watching something recently. 
maybe it was Paul McCartney docking off the Get Back one. Mm. And um, it was, uh, oh God, he worked with Bowie, the most amazing Tony producer. Tony uh, No, no, no. I can't even, can't believe I can't remember his name. Brian was in Roxy Music. Yeah. yeah. He said, the worst thing you can try and be is cool. Yeah. Just be yourself. So that I, I, I've never bought into that kind of thing of like, I'm so cool. And the superiority thing, it's a job. DJing is a job. That's always the way I viewed it. I mean, I went off to the States and uh, there last year and I worked as a waitress because I'd lost loads of money in the pandemic and I had no problem doing that. And over there, I had people where I was, like, I started to DJ and the manager told me that everyone was messaging from Ireland going, when's Kelly Am? You never told us you did all this stuff. Yeah, because I was like, but why would I? We had no idea. Do you know what I mean? And I was like, but why would I talk about it? And I think a lot of that has to do with being from Finglas and where I grew up not growing up with money, mm. you know, and always being a very grounded person, like working from the age of 11. So it's for me, whilst I love DJing and loved being on the radio, it is also a job. The same as being a plumber is a job. My yeah. dad's a plumber. Mm. You know, my nanny, when I was a kid, had a paper round and fingless that she made. Most You've always been very practical. Yeah, then. practical. So that's the way I think about it. And I'd never like to get up with myself. And like, I'd get a slap from my family if I did. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I'd be like, my fingless, if you acted like that, you get a dig. <laughs> well, that is. Shut up. You, I think that, you know, inadvertently that that's you've built up a reputation, even though you haven't sought one as being no. incredibly professional, no nonsense, but great crack, obviously, <laughs> and a brilliant DJ. And we've spoken before at great length, and I suppose sometimes with great anger about you being labelled a female DJ, oh yeah, yeah woman yeah, yeah. DJ, yeah, and all this that yeah. you absolutely reject Can't any of. Reject that. when people say to me, "What's what's it like to be a female DJ?" I'd be like. Your boobs knock the crossfader, <laughs> which happens to me in my case. You know, what do you want me to say? Like, it's not, it, what does it matter? It's not going to do it. Yeah. Like, I just, that for me is like, is just pants. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you should be there on merit, you know? Um, And so, yeah, I've never, never, ever gotten into that. Although I, although I, it was drilled into me. I mean, my mom was way ahead of her time and it was drilled into me that I could do anything a guy could when I was a kid. And I'll always admire her for that. Yeah. Oh, you have? Yeah, she just she just said that to me constantly. You're going to do everything a man can do. Um, I was brought up in that environment. My dad was the same. My granddad was the same. He loved feisty women. I'm so sorry that you lost your granddad. I know. You used to speak yeah. about him so often. Yeah, yeah. And how are you since? I'm good. Someone great reminds me of him, uh, that track on the LCD. Um, because when granddad died, all the lyrics of, that had always been my favourite song. Mm -hmm. And all the lyrics of that song on the day granddad died came true. Yeah. So, you know, I remember James Murphy said something was different. It was the way you were breathing. And when I went to the hospice, I, I'd never heard him breathe like that. And I just knew he's, he's going. Like, and it was a beautiful sunny day, which he also talks about in that album. Like, why isn't it raining? There were so many things. But I'm, I'm good. I mean, he's always with me. You know, he was an amazing influence on my life. He was very calm. Like, yeah, he was very wise. I mean, like, you, I've got my tattoo there that you can see. Oh, look at that. Keep yeah. going. Keep going. Beautiful. Yeah. So that was one You're of still the... still with you. Yeah. When he was 90, I asked him what the most important thing he'd learned about life. And he said, keep going. And the boat was for him because he worked at sea all his life. Look at that. Yeah. What a, what a beautiful testament to a great man. You spoke about him yeah. almost nightly. I almost oh. felt I knew him myself. Yeah. Every, do, that's when he died. That's another thing. I was like, do I put it up on Instagram? I was supposed to play a gig the next day. So I'm, I'm very private. So, you know, you'll never hear anything about who I'm dating or who relationships or anything like that. I don't milk anything on Instagram. But like, I had to put that up. Mm -hmm. And so many people on social media said, oh my God, I remember you talking about him on the radio. I feel like I know him. And they were heartbroken. Such a beautiful relationship yeah, you had. Yeah. I and you still have with him through the music oh. and you think about him every day. Yeah. So he's still with you. Yeah. Uh, Kellyanne Byrne, first of all, you're back. Welcome home. Yes. 
your love affair with New York is stuff of legend. Yeah. But you were saying earlier that it was time. It was time for me to leave. Interestingly enough, I was there 15 months. I love New York. It's an amazing place. I'll never have, have anything bad to say about it. But I'm 45 in the summer and I'm at the stage in life now where, I, I, first of all, I think the pace was very fast for me. I worked like a dog over there, which people don't realize. But I also um, am at the stage where I don't want to be missing out on things. I don't want to miss out on debts. My best friend's mom was dying when I was living there, who I've known since I was three. Um, my parents are getting older. They're still great, but they're getting older. And, you know, even my nieces and nephews have got a lot. I just didn't want to miss out on all of that. And so we were speaking about that, you and I. It's like, I think your priorities change as you get older. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think your relationship with the world, when you've had the good fortune and privilege of maybe doing a lot of travel, mm -hmm. having some good times going out, yeah, that gets well boring and less important to you as you get older. And those relationships, you kind of revert back to what is important to you. Yeah. My world has gotten quite small and I'm glad of it. Yeah. You know, my world is Castle Your Bard, little boy. my little boy, my yeah. daughter in Amsterdam, my sister, my, you know, my partner, and then my couple of friends. Yeah. I, I'm all right with that. If yeah. you said that to me when I was 28, I was like, are you mad, old man? But like, yeah. no, like this is. Mm -hmm. So you've come back to Dublin. What, what's next? Well, I mean, I've got more. The main thing is my course, actually, which is in September. I have to continue my psychotherapy study. I'm playing all summer which is great. There's a lot of gigs coming up all together now. Kaleidoscope, Mother Pride, all of that kind of stuff. But I, you know, I, I don't know, Ed, I'd really love to write something. I feel like I'm at that stage in life where I'd like a to. A novel or? Just something, maybe a play. I originally trained as an actress. You did, that's right. Yeah, but I mean, that's just an idea in my head. And again, maybe that's got to do with like, maybe looking at things more introspectively now. And um, I don't know, is that hitting 45, thinking about life? But yeah, I'd love to do something like that. But I'll always DJ. I don't know if I'll do it to the scale that I did it before. But it's I'll a hard life. Yeah, it's a hard nights are nights are tough. It's a hard life. Yeah. Yeah. I don't do it as much anymore and I wasn't doing it anywhere near your level. Mm -hmm. But I found I stopped with the pandemic yeah. to go back to it. And I do the odd bit now. Mm -hmm. uh, but I found it's a young person's game. Yeah. Really. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot, you know, because you're getting lot. home at three, four in the morning and you're buzzing, you know, your, your ears are ringing. Mm -hmm. You've just played to. In my case, 60,000 people in Wheelands. <laughs> you know, to come down from that, people are crying. They're like, we know you from the beat goes you know, on. They're having sex. It's, yeah, they, I know you from the toilet in Wheelands. Is that Ed Smith? It's like, that's me. No, but <laughs> it's more that you, even if it's like someone like me playing Wheelands or you playing <laughs> Electric Picnic. Yeah. It's just, it's hard, it's hard to get to sleep. And your yeah. next day is kind of gone. It's eating yeah. the next day. And then you're doing that two, three times a week. Yeah. Jesus. And I'm an early riser. People don't realise that about me. I think people think I'm even like some kind of Grace Jones existence. Yeah. But actually, I am a really... I've early been to your club nights and then the next morning, you've ran past my house. <laughs> yeah, in full <laughs> running gear. I know. And I'm coming, I'm emerging like Neanderthal man <laughs> at the beginning of time. Yeah. <laughs> and I pull back my curtains. Is that Kelly Ann Byrne? Yeah. With her ponytail bouncing up and down. <laughs> Even the um, Dave, who I lived with in New York, he's like, Kellyanne, like, he's like, so he's not a DJ. He's like, I might get up at 11 on a Saturday. Yeah. And like, you know, the, we had a dog called Molly. His mom, and he was like, you would have walked Molly to Connecticut. You would have like ran around the city. You would You're have so annoying. In. He's like, it's like, stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, don't <laughs> stop, please. Oh, look, we're all so excited and delighted Aww. to have you home. Our little world here in Ireland feels all the bit brighter. And sounds much better. That oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. It's been great. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And yeah. I'm going to have to ask the unfortunate question, I'm afraid, of oh. the three choices that you brought. 
for your recorded history, there's only room for one in your mm. DJ bag. Which one is it and why? Oh, 100% miseducation on really? Lauren Hill. Yeah. 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 Not That's the one like, I connect to the most. Yeah. I love the others. I love them musically. Like I say, Prince is, is best. But, for, but in terms of lyrics and themes and all the rest of it, that album is the one. I mean, I got visibly upset all this week listening to it. My mom was like, what's wrong with you? Like, but there's something Stop, about ma'am. it. Stop, Slammed the door. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what? But there's something, something about it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. great. Well, listen, Kelly Ann Byrne, the myth, the legend. <laughs> and now we've gotten your recorded history. Looking forward to seeing you at the festivals over mm-hmm. the summer. And thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Thank you for having me. There she is, the human disco ball herself, the wonderful Kellyanne Byrne. And I have to say, as I said before, that is up there with one of the great chats I've had so far here on Recorded History. That woman knows and loves her musical onions, let me tell you. A great DJ, a great radio presenter, and for all the years I've known her, a great pal. Now, if you haven't heard or want to go back and revisit one of the records that Kellyanne mentioned, or just one you love yourself, then we'd absolutely love it if you supported our partners at therecordhub.com. We simply couldn't make this podcast without their super and duper support. I do hope you enjoyed our crate dive together and that you'll join me again next week and every Sunday after that. Next week, we get into it in a very deep way with the great Brezzy. I've been Ed Smith. This has been Recorded History. Now, all you have to do is hit the old subscribe button and become a weekly listener. But above all that, subscribe to yourself. You're all great. Go Loud presents Recorded History. Hosted, produced and researched by me, Ed Smith, at Go Loud Studios. The show was created and executive produced for Go Loud by D-Ready. Our series is proudly supported by TheRecordHub.com, your local Irish and online record store.